Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the ANN After Show. It's me, Lindsay Loveridge from Anime News Network, and James Beckett, also of Anime News Network. Welcome back, James. We had a week off, we had a week off last week because I had to schedule an interview that I hope to be sharing with you guys really soon with director Tetsuro Araki. I got to sit down with him and talk to him about his new movie, Bubble, that's coming out on Netflix at the end of this week. So hopefully we'll have that video up. I can't up. believe it's already coming out. I feel like we watched the trailer for that like a week ago and now it's here. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. If anyone hasn't seen the trailer already, this is the new Wit Studio joint. They worked with Geno Urbucci and the artist from Death Note and also the writer of the Gravity. I was going to say Gravity Falls. That's a cartoon. The video game with the, the Gravity stuff in it. Oh, um. Uh, I, I have that game. Gravity oh, Days is the name of it in Japanese, but it was retitled in Gravity English. Rush. Gravity Rush, yes. yes. So uh, those are good games. Very good games. Yeah. So and they also got uh, Hiroyuki Sawano to do the music. So there's just a lot of really great people working on this movie, and that'll be on Netflix on April 28th. We'll have a review up and hopefully an interview up on the same day to check out. So that's why we weren't here this uh, last week. This week we've got. The lowdown on two of the most popular shows of the season that I think we're going to be following throughout, although there's a, a lot of great stuff to check out. And that's Spy Family. Everyone's been talking about it. There's no way if you're on social media, you haven't seen Anya's face all over the place. Her worthy face. Yeah. Or you've seen, you know, particular fan art of Vior because she's pretty popular right now, too, I think. So we're going to talk about the first three episodes of that and the first four episodes of The Executioner and Her Way of Life, which is a new spin kind of on the isekai formula that's been pretty fun. So we're going to go over that. And also we've got some news items. We've got a really expensive, really big, really heavy uh, statue. Should we call it a statue? It's, it's 75 pounds. So we're, I'm going to say it's a statue. Yeah. An, figure. an icon? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <an> idol? <laughs> Yeah, to show you um, that Square Enix is is putting out for Final Fantasy VI. I'm also going to talk about Squidward's favorite manga, um, according to Barnes & Noble, anyway. And the controversy around the Tawa on Monday ad that ran in the Nikkei newspaper. But before we get to all of that great stuff, just want to remind everybody to please follow us here on YouTube. Hit the like, the subscribe. We're also on Twitter Spaces and Facebook video live every week at 6 p.m. on Mondays. Uh, that's 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Or you can download the podcast version of this. We're on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, Stitcher, all you know, whatever you use to listen to your podcast, those usually go up the following day on Tuesday. So stick around. We're going to be talking about lots of great stuff. Let's dive into the news, James. Which which we start with? Do you want to start with Squidward, or do you want to start with Tawawa, or do you want to see that amazing statue slash figure that Square Enix is putting out? I'm letting you choose. Man, I mean, my loyalty, the, my heart cries out for Final Fantasy, but but my soul needs to know what Squidward's absolute favorite manga is all about. All right, you can blame James for this. We're starting with Squidward's favorite manga, uh, Dick Fight Island. 
Yes. Can I repeat that? It is Dick Fight Island. I didn't come up with that. I'm not, you know, just randomly cursing. I'm going to show you the article. Um, if we disappear after that, I'm sorry. It's probably, you know. We've been banned from the internet. <laughs> we've been banned from the internet for showing you this hot sensational content. So I mean, what happened? I'm trying to figure if I should give you guys the context on what Dick Fight Island is. Because, yeah, okay, I read it. Or... Um, the story first. I think. I'll is there any story. context beyond what you can already get from the title and the art? Because I feel like this is one of those pieces of art that just it speaks for itself. You know, I mean, I'm assuming there's an island. Yes. I'm assuming there's fighting. Yes. And I'm assuming, based on the uh, the mammoth proportions of that fellow's uh, cod piece, I'm assuming they fight with their dicks. Yes, all of those are true. So you get exactly. What is on the cover? Uh, really attractive art, but it is erotic. Like it says right there in the headline, this is an erotic manga. So it's going to be shrink wrapped if you go buy a copy. Um, That's how you, you know need, it's good. You need to keep <laughs> when it the, When the man doesn't want you yeah. to read it in the Barnes and Noble aisle, that's when you know it's exactly. good. Exactly. Well, actually, Funny you should say that uh, one particular man did want people to read this in the Barnes and Noble. Uh, it was signed as Squidward and included a little drawing of him. But if you've ever been in a Barnes and Noble or a lot of bookstores, they usually set up these little cards underneath certain front facing titles on the shelves with recommendations from the staff. This one also had that only the staff member wasn't identified and said identified him or herself as uh, Squidward, but the card read, the absolute peak of storytelling. It is a spellbinding tale of warriors battling for supremacy with their girthy sabers. The art is beautiful enough to leave a man screaming in ecstasy. 11 out of 10 would ride the dick fight again. Squidward approved. So this went viral on social media, as you can probably expect. It has all the makings of something that would go viral. Uh, you can probably come to the conclusion, maybe... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we can't youtube is already yeah. banging down our door <laughs> yeah I, know. I can't make those kind of puns here right so people have speculated likely true that someone got a hold of maybe a card from another uh display and flipped it over or something and wrote this and then stuck it under the manga or maybe it was legitimately a staff member don't know if they still have their job What's important is that you know that there's this is a two-volume manga. You can get it from Viz's uh, Boys Love imprint, Sublime. And if you're old enough to read it and you like everything that that card said, you should probably check it out. I thought the first volume was funny. So I have, I have, <laughs> I have two things to say, maybe three. Okay. Number one, okay. if Barnes & Noble fired that employee, they're idiots because I'm sure this is the most uh, any Zoomer has thought about or talked about Barnes and Noble ever, um, in, at least in the last 10 years. And sure. so good on them Two, uh -huh. I deeply appreciate that this is maybe the only time in the history of literature that the uh, terrible euphemism for penis being like a saber is actually like totally and accurate to the plot. It's not yeah. just like a, a horrible uh, a horrible sex scene. And three, yeah. uh, Shining Falcon in the comments said that this sounds like the TV show Survivor gone horribly wrong. But I want to say, I think it's Survivor gone horribly right. And I would I would watch that show for however many seasons Survivor's been on. Like 30? Who knows? But 
Give me 30 years break of at Fight any Island. Point? Yeah. As someone who I watched the inaugural season of Survivor because I am old, I can tell you exactly where it was and what TV it was on because I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that show's ever taken a break. But this would definitely spice up Survivor, you know, in- inject. Sorry. Right now, and just some much needed, um, you know, spice into the show. Yeah, so. the, the genre might finally rise to the occasion. There we um, go, and and, per, and perform as as needed. Oh, and yeah. fourth thing, surprise, fourth thing, we need this to cross over with Keijo immediately. That's oh. what we need. that's the cinematic universe we deserve. Yeah, yeah, the Keijo girls versus the Dick Fight Island boys. Exactly. Whoever wins, we also win. So I don't know how to segue into either. Well, I mean, I guess, okay. Let's look at something else that's really big. Let's look at. Speaking um, of compensating for something. Hey, hey. who wants to drop $11,000 on a statue of Terra from Final Fantasy VI? Um, This thing is huge. And I've got a really nice high quality photo I can scroll here through for you guys. So this is uh, Terra and her uh, mad... Is it Magitech armor? I believe is yeah. what it's called. Yeah, it's looking pretty cool. She's got you know plenty of Moogles, highly detailed. This thing weighs seventy five pounds, and yeah. is it's not just like eleven thousand dollars because of the level of detail that goes into it. It's because it is huge. Uh, I did some math earlier, and uh, someone in the comments was nice enough to give us the centimeters, and then I figured out you know inches, and then I feel like we're still talking about Dick Fight Island. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you said it because otherwise I would have. <laughs> but yes, uh, this is a one six scale statue and it is roughly two and a half feet tall. And like I said, 75 pounds and $11,570. And I don't know, does anyone else like, I don't, I don't own any figures that are that expensive. I just can't like mentally justify dropping that kind of money obviously some people can like these are people that you know have enough disposable income to indulge in that to buy twitter to buy oh god i don't want to talk about that today (laughs) but hey you know not anime related unless you're any twitter elon musk is buying twitter twitter is accepting his offer he's offering way more than the shares were were priced at, at at closing um just yeah i heard it was characterized earlier before this happened as a hostile takeover but twitter seemed pretty happy with the money that they're getting so <laughs> also yeah so i know depending on how you feel about that guy and his auto driving cars and his boring company and his spacex if you think he also needs to own twitter and you like him you know don't forget all the blood money from the apartment. oh yeah 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 inheriting his parents emerald mines and PayPal, and God, he's connected to everything at this point. Um, but yeah, if you don't want to think about that, why don't you go drop eleven half thousand dollars on a giant picture or giant statue? I only have a giant picture, giant statue of Terra from Final Fantasy VI. Uh, these are going to be limited. There's only going to be six hundred of these made, and one hundred and fifty will be exclusive to Japan. So uh, they are allowing. The majority of them to be um, imported. But so that's again, more than I, I would have expected that to be like a 
maybe 100 max, right? Like 11 grand. That's yeah, pricey. Yeah. The only thing I've seen above that are usually those one-to-one scale waifu figures of like Ram and Ram and characters like that. Those are upwards of like 20 grand. So yeah, I just thought that was really cool as far as like the level of detail and everything that goes into it. And it just, again, huge, huge. But not as big as Dick Fight Island. But not as big as Dick Fight Island, either in trending, popularity, or sheer girth. We're adults. (laughs) We are adults. I'm paid to be here. Can you believe that? All right. So for uh, our last news story, uh, Tawa on Monday. I don't know how, how much you guys are familiar with that. It's a little bit niche as far as like anime manga goes. It's primarily a fan service manga that stars a booksome. I realize I've never said that word out loud before, so I hope I just said it correctly. Um, yeah. High school girl who rides the train to work and some sort of nameless salary man notices her and she brightens up his day. And there's a lot of like fan service sort of shots or whatever, not of him doing anything to her, but just, you know, like that he just gets to see because she's kind of a dork and stuff like that. It got adapted into two seasons of, I think, short anime. Like the episodes aren't very long and you can watch those on Crunchyroll. Um, I have not personally read it. It's just not like, I'm really picky about manga, mostly in that like I like them to have a plot, so I don't usually just buy them just for like the pinup stuff. But hey, you know it started as a as a Twitter series. Like the artist just drew pinup pictures of this girl named Aichan, and then that eventually kind of developed into more of a story. Where the controversy comes in is that there was a recent ad for the fourth manga volume in a newspaper called the Nikkei. And the Nikkei is a financial newspaper. It's not like comic oriented or even like younger audience oriented. Like this is the stuff that the typically older men read on the train on their way to work in their suits and stuff. It's kind of like the New York, not um, the Wall Street Journal would be a fair comparison. It's got a pretty high circulation rate. It's like the paper if you're paying attention to business in Japan. If you uh, own a briefcase, you're legally required to read it. Is what exactly? I yes, that's it, some subscription comes with a briefcase. Okay. It's kind of like a you know not the other way around. <laughs> Every month you get a new briefcase. <laughs> no, no, not the other way around. So Kodansha took out a full page ad for the fourth volume in the newspaper. The ad itself, you know, it doesn't have what I would call typical fan service. Although you know, I may be desensitized to it from my work. But it's just the main character standing in profile. She's got one arm kind of in front of her that obscures her breasts. So you don't immediately notice that they're just, you know, big honking boobies. But they're there. And then there's just a little bit of text that that says that, you know, I hope this is a great week. And the reason they put that one in there in that specific issue is because it was the start of the new, like, work season. Sounds weird, but new hires were mostly starting that week in the same way that uh, it was also the same week for new students to start the next grade. And so that's all your context, but the ad ended up causing controversy because it was seen as basically being advertised in a place it typically wouldn't in a way where more people would get offended. And it was going against an agreement the newspaper itself had with UN women, not to be mistaken with the actual United Nations. A lot of people seem to be conflating the two. They're not the same. The UN Women Group, and they have Japan offices and everything, is oriented towards 
civil rights and awareness types of issues. And they had an agreement with the Nikkei paper to abide by certain standards for their advertising, advertising that wouldn't promote stereotypes and things like that. And they perceived this ad as being stereotypical and that it was sexualizing a teenage girl in her school uniform. And so they sent a letter to them asking like, why did you run this? It doesn't meet the standards that we agreed to. And they've kind of been stonewalled on it and not really getting an answer. So that relationship is not great. But then, of course, people see this as you and women attempting censorship of this newspaper because they've sent a letter complaining about it. And this is outside influence. And anyway, their complaints don't have any merit because they don't have empirical evidence to prove that such advertisements directly harm girls and women. And so this has kind of been where the conversation has gone. Ken Akamatsu, who is running for office this summer, but most people might know him as the creator of Love Hina and Nagima and UQ Holder. He's been a large proponent of free speech or protecting manga and anime from censorship or influence. Um, And he's spoken out about about this, about why he feels the complaint isn't merited. Other politicians have now since jumped on this and are taking pictures of themselves holding the manga and putting it on their social media and being like, so I bought it. Cool. They're all so cool. They're really taking <laughs> such a brave stand and purchasing this mildly smutty comic book that exists. Oh man, look at look at those those feminists quaking in their boots. Sorry, I'm yeah. trying not. I'm trying not to let the uh, overwhelming amounts of sarcasm I have uh, completely consume my response. Yeah, yeah. So I have like mixed feelings on this. One, like the Nikkei agreed to these standards, and they didn't abide by them. And the only reason they've given is that they asked other people in their company before running it, and no one thought it was a problem. So sometimes, like, who did you ask? I wonder how like, hey, I wonder how many of them who? were women. <laughs> and I wonder how many of them were women that were in a position where even if they did want to object, felt like they could. Um, I don't men, know. You know. I don't yeah, I don't like and I don't know. I would be pleasantly surprised if there was a substantial amount of female staff working at a financial newspaper like the Nikkei, because we have this same problem in the U.S. in the newspaper industry as far as, like, journalists and whatnot. Um, I mean, it's improved over time, but uh, it's still not a uh, women-led or, or equal 50-50 type scenario there. So not sure how many women work at the Nikkei. I think there was assumption about the target readership, which kind of speaks to a larger problem. They probably thought, Kodansha thought this. Because they said that they put this ad in this newspaper to cheer up the salarymen who read it on their way to work. So there's a couple of different assumptions working there. One is <laughs> women don't read the Nikkei. It's a financial newspaper. What do they need to read that for? And this won't bother them because they don't read it. The other one is that salarymen all appreciate busty schoolgirls. And that sort of thing is something that they like. I'm not going to say like... Men or if they put or people islands cover on the opposite page, and so you had both. That would yes. be something. <laughs> hey, why not? Why not have 
one of the dick fight island guys in maybe you can put him in regular clothes in a full page ad in the Nikkei. But have, still with the giant murder shaft. Like full business suit, <laughs> but you still have the giant murder shaft. I mean, they tried to obscure in this ad, you know, kind of what is this manga, right? Like they gave what I feel is a is a pretty mild image of it. And then you had in the corner, like, two pictures of the volume covers. And the volume covers are more overt as far as, like, her, like, trying to touch her elbows behind her back kind of situation going on with the art. So, I mean... One of those melty popsicles, and it's just... (laughs) Right. Right. So, I mean, I'm not going to say that people don't like sexual images or that, you know that kind of stuff isn't pleasing to some people because it is, but I do think it's a problem to just have the default assumption that only men read this paper and also, you know, salary men aged, which is like, I would say roughly late twenties and up are into busty schoolgirls in general. Like some men would probably take issue with that assumption just as much as women would. Yeah. Just the, maybe not the Nikkei for that one. You know, like put it in, you've got like Shonen Champion or, you know, Sanin magazines. Like if you put it in big comics, I mean, that becomes another thing because it's only going to run in a Kodansha manga magazine. Like Kodansha's not going to advertise it in a competitive publisher. But I mean, there are probably other magazines and things you could put that in golf magazines maybe yeah something like that just, i don't I know mean, porn magazines or even porn. just like other you know etchy manga compilations right. or whatever or like game informer or whatever the japanese equivalent of game Informer. yeah is. i don't know if they have game yeah Informer, yeah but... they have uh, famitsu maybe they're famitsu. You know, perfect put it you in know. famitsu you know these famitsu. are all target audience right they're trying to expand their target audience i think but it again requires a lot of assumptions and those assumptions are what UN women and other feminist organizations are kind of trying to make a point yes. about in the first place. You can say there's no empirical evidence that dudes who like these kind of manga harass actual teenage girls on the train. Sure. I wouldn't say any guy who likes to read smutty manga is a liability around young women. I think that is going a bit too far. But I do think it creates a certain environment for women when they're constantly bombarded with those types of images and don't really see any other kind of representation of who they can be. And that's what their program was trying to do. They're like, don't just do this smutty ads. Can we have some ads that show women and girls in different lights so that it's not just this focusing on their sexuality or their, how sexually attractive they are to others all the time. Well, my so. biggest problem is that all these butthurt politician types always frame it as, oh, I'm just standing up for free speech. I'm a champion for free speech. Censorship is bad. But the thing is that the UN women's group has the right to say, hey, that's not cool. We kind of thought that you weren't going to run this kind of material based on conversations or whatever we had. And the fact that you're doing it is kind of crummy. And 
in general, we don't really like that this kind of uh, material is being put out there so much anyway. But in this particular instance, it maybe feels like stepping over the line. That's also an expression of free speech. Right. And yet all of these people are like, how dare you? How dare you? And what, what's really happening is that the powers that be don't like change and they don't like people with voices that do not align with their own to have a voice or God forbid to actually exert some kind of actual influence on the way that people see the world and understand the world and empathize with others. And so they use this whole free speech nonsense. And it, I'm, I apologize for getting a little animated. I'm a teacher in the United States and um, things are not looking good here at all. Books are getting banned left and right. And you can guess what kind of books are getting banned. I'll give you a hint. It's the ones with all the gay people and all the women and all the people of color and every one of the people. Just bought a copy of Mouse. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all of these people at these uh, board meetings are screaming the same thing about how, you know, when they want to ban things and when they want to shut people down or when they want to silence people's voices, they're doing it to protect whatever family values. But, you know, the minute someone like just gets out there and says, hey, I don't really like how you're acting. They start screaming about censorship and free speech. And it's, that's not how it works. Yeah, <laughs> one, one of the arguments was it was about like outside pressure or external pressure. It was like, this was Ken Akamatsu who was making this argument. And it's just like, how is the UN women's letter any different than his particular blog post? Like politicians or companies can read it and God forbid they consider it in their future decisions. And that seems to be where the, where the fear is like, how dare you say anything? Cause it might get these people to change their minds about something. Yeah, I it's mean, called the free market. That's how it's supposed to work when it's not being completely twisted apart by oligarchs and insane people is if the UN women's group or any group made any kind of fuss and enough people said, Hey, you know what? That makes sense. We're no longer going to support, the the Nikkei or whatever we'll we'll do a letter writing campaign or we'll retweet some stuff and cause that's how it's supposed to go and then yeah. if the Nikkei decides that that's not the kind of image they want then they'll stop running the ad if they don't care then they'll keep running the ad and then but the, the problem is that there's one particular side of the conversation that historically has had all of the power and the space to be a part of the conversation in the first place that is just trying to prevent anyone else from, from entering into that dialogue and they're just using this as a pretense and it's no, they need any. Yeah. So if you guys want to read more about this uh, particular controversy, we've got two articles up on a and I wrote both of them, but you can go read them over there. It's uh, more detailed and has more about the developments and um, Ken Akumatsu's thoughts and comments. So those are over at anime news network. They might not be on the front page anymore because uh, these articles came out a couple days ago, like last week. So if you just search Tawawa on Monday on Anime News Network, they'll probably be like the first thing that comes up. So, yeah, with that said, we are going to talk about some anime series now. Uh, let's start with Spy Family, my new adoptive anime family. So cute. That I've just, just fallen in love with. Kind of light on the plot so far, but, yeah. you know, just kind of an enjoyable 25 minutes each week. Please plot when you got these idiots just... Just three weirdos. <laughs> Absolute weirdos. You know? Um, Look at them. So, yeah. James, you want to give us a brief introduction of our trio here? 
Yeah, it's your classic spy, fake family comedy sitcom setup. You have Anya, the little girl that's secretly a telepath that, so gets, ado that gets adopted by uh, Lloyd, spelled L-O-I-D for reasons that I'm sure make sense to the author. And he is codenamed Twilight. He's a super spy, uh, saving the world one James Bond-esque caper at a time. And uh, he basically gets a very convoluted set of instructions that require him to basically get close to this uh, this this target of international intrigue who only ever shows his face in public when he attends his kids' super fancy private school functions. And so mm -hmm. he's told, you got to get yourself a kid, got to pretend to be a rich dad, and you got to you know, get involved in the school. And of course he just adopts some random girl from an orphanage, but hoy, 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 she can read minds as you do. Yeah. And then another convoluted set of circumstances make it so that both Lloyd and your, it is your, right? Or is it? It is. It's, I mean, it's written Yoru, but the author yeah. also insists that it is spelled your. Your. So your, mm -hmm. it turns out that because of weird societal expectations and, um, wanting to not make waves at the school. Uh, after adopting Anya, the telepathic girl, Lloyd also uh, decides that he needs to have a wife to be his fake daughter's fake mom. And Yor just so happens to need a fake boyfriend to make face at a local party, an office gathering. And also she's like a, a super murderous, hyper-competent assassin in her spare time. You know, her code, name is, her code name is Thorn Princess, which is, you know, just cool. Yeah, it's it cool. Yeah. She rocks the so, stilettos like nobody's business, and she'll cut your throat in like two seconds. And um, she will also, I guess, believe literally anything you tell her, which is which seems problematic for her line of work, but yeah, yeah, she's she's balancing like being hyper competent when it comes to killing people, but also being extremely naive when it comes to any kind of social circumstances. So she kind of just takes most people and what they say at face value, but she reports to someone called the shopkeeper who gives her her targets. And um, she's got a young younger brother that it sounds like she mostly raised and there's a rather large age discrepancy between the two of them. She's like significantly older than him, but they both have jobs working in the government in some sense, low level, well, hers is like a low level government job. Um, I'm not sure what her brother does. We haven't met him yet. But and also, we, it keeps obscuring his face. And so I feel like there's going to be some kind of twist or something because every time we see a picture of him, it's just from the neck down. Yeah. Uh, Rob Kroll says, This is Mr. and Mrs. Smith plus Esper Baby. That seems pretty accurate. Yeah. Except, well, I mean, as far as like the premise goes, personalities don't really yeah. match up with Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt and that. But it is pretty much the same uh, scenario. One of the things I feel like makes this show work is that despite their weird backstories, it's incredibly wholesome. So you know, just doing their best. Yeah, yours seems like a pretty good mom already at this point. Like Anya takes to her really easily. Lloyd is kind of just trying to keep his wits about him because he's gotta get these two dummies to pass the interview for Anya. Anya seems like she's had like no formal education whatsoever up to this point. She's also passing herself off as a six-year-old when I'm still, like, I still that girl ain't six. <laughs> she's like, I don't, I don't think she's she, six. She is five at best. Yeah, five, between four and five, I would put her at. And like we said, Yor doesn't have any modicum of of like how to behave in a social situation. 
I also think she's like low key a sexual sadist. Like she oh, seems yeah. to actually get aroused by sharp objects. Like <laughs> she, she straight up wanted to make love to that that painting of a guillotine. Yeah. Uh, which again, yeah. I mean, we've all been there, right? It's 2022. I think we've all looked at a guillotine and thought, you know, <laughs> let's 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 take this to the streets. Yeah, let's get right? this revolution on the road. But I don't think that's her. I think she just really loves the idea of efficiently slicing someone's head off. Right. Well, because he also takes them out to a fancy uh, fancy lunch. They go, they have a family outing in episode three, which is about kind of expanding their horizons. Because Lloyd realizes that even basic questions like "What do you do?" for fun um, gets weird answers out of both of them. Anya like insinuates she's left home alone by herself to watch TV and your mistakes, the question to being about murder. So they all go out on a family outing and do a whole bunch of different activities. And one of them, they go to a nice lunch and yours completely preoccupied with the steak knife. She's just like blushing and like looking at it and yeah. It's like a blush that transcends. It's it's weird how they do it. Like the blush, it like transcends her face. Like she's she's literally luminescent with just pure unadulterated like sexual energy. It's a little yeah. She really it's a likes lot. That knife. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. Uh, Anya is because she's a telepath and neither party knows it. She's usually overhearing like their different thoughts about how they have to, you know, how Lloyd has to pull off the mission or how yours accidentally broke her brother's ribs once and things like, so she's, she's like here for the faces. I'm very much here for, for Anya's face it, face game. Got the waku wakus for days. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got a hint of her heh face in the ending theme. If you watch really closely, there's a part where a boy comes on screen and she like turns to the audience and like does her little like creepy smirk thing. But yeah, most of the time she's just freaking out or Lloyd is, you know, correcting how much, how well she helped with any given project. Um, Cause usually she's just a disaster, but yeah, I feel like even three episodes in though, like while I enjoy watching this show, it is very light so far for the first three mm-hmm. episodes. Next, the next episode, it seems like we'll finally get to see the school. And I think based on the episode preview, we're going to get to see the school that Anya's going to and the headmaster who looks crazy and maybe some of the other other students. But I'm expecting things to kind of roll a little, maybe a little more. I was going to say, I think we need more side characters to kind of balance out the extremely uh, shenanigans heavy dynamic of the main three. Like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Frank? Is that the fixer guy? The the guy who who makes all of Lloyd's inventions? It's not Frank, is it? It's... uh, the only other side character I feel like we've met is the guy who's kind of got an afro and he like hey, works at the hey. newspaper stand. Is that not Frank? Right? What's his name? It might be his name. It might be his name and I forgot it. But Frankie, yeah, Frankie. Okay. Frankie. Frankie, okay. yeah. So yeah. I like him. He's funny. I you know, he 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 kind of balances out Lloyd a little bit because he's he seems slightly more well adjusted as far as how he looks at the world. He's not uh completely defined by by his role as a as a an informant and and occasional sidekick but yeah um i liked the bit where he both helped them helped lloyd retrieve stolen artwork you know as long as he got mm-hmm. to take a few off the side and he also attempted to be anya's mom uh, early in episode two when they realized that you know that just wasn't gonna wasn't gonna work and he um, but yeah, they, was game and i respect that he was down to try yeah he, yeah you know. he's a good sport he's the kind of guy you want on your side for these sorts of things for sure yeah. 
But yeah, it hasn't given us a whole lot to talk about. We'll keep checking in with Spy Family, I think, throughout uh, this podcast season. We've got a yeah. second show. A second oh, I was going to say, I, I think the show is at its best when it marries the action with the comedy. Yeah. Uh, even little things like when you're like drop kicks that, that, that platter of grits or whatever. That was good. Yeah. It was like a tuna casserole or something. God, that lady was awful. So in episode two, when we meet your, she has like the worst coworkers. I mean, they're kind of taking advantage of, of her lack of social graces to corner her and mock her for, for fun, for fun. Mercilessly. Yeah, for idle gossip. And one, I don't remember the most egregious co-worker, she, but she was dating Dominic, and Dominic is a friend of yours brother, and he was also going to be at the party, which is why she had to bring Lloyd. But yeah, that lady was just like hassling her, and then there's a part where she actually calls her a whore, and I was just like, like oh god. Just in front of everybody, right? Because she insinuates, I don't know if this is like a cover story, or if she was just like wholesale making it up. Um, but she implies that, you know, she was a call girl or something, a masseuse sort of situation for, for men. And uh, as far as we know, like your wasn't ever well, a part your, of that. She has a moment where she basically says like, Oh yeah, I, I told them that because I was actually killing people. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, if anything was her, yeah. Yeah. She was just, you know, murdering dudes and she needed a, a reason to tell people that she that didn't involve murder. So, you know, maybe her cover story wasn't the most like socially acceptable one. And then that comes back around when she attempts to embarrass her in front of this entire party. Lloyd took it like a champ covered in blood. Cause he also had just been in a shootout when he shows up at that party and uh, manages to turn it around. But yeah, she, she decides to tell the whole party once Lloyd turns up and she can't stand the fact that she might have a, an attractive husband that your was involved in this illicit business and then calls her a little says you little whore like in front of everybody and i was just like and lord's like you know what i am my wife would do literally anything to take care of her little brother that she raised <laughs> on her own so when you really think about it who's the real champion here i want to say it's her yeah 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 i'm but just then, a normal yeah. everyday psychologist covered in blood and that's <laughs> that's my take i know she's he manages to i also thought that was a really good joke when um he tells her that he's basically giving them concussions to stop their psychotic states that they're in and so she kicks one of them in the in the head or something and then she's like oh i shouldn't have been practicing without a license and yes i'm so sorry that an unqualified person helped give you the concussive therapy and he's just like (laughs) sweet yeah that's when they knew that it was really gonna work and then he proposed to her with a with a grenade ring which was also yeah. pretty good pretty good one of our chat members here uh Bo Young Leo sorry if I've uh butchered your name I hope I did okay there uh said that yours brother might potentially turn some viewers off now I haven't read the manga but I have seen a lot of people talking about this element um that it's got you know like ciscon parts to it I don't know how intense that is in the manga or if it's just sort of oh, okay. kind of annoying things that that shows up um i've seen some people talk about that the anime might lessen those elements so i guess we'll have to see next oh we also didn't say but this takes place in the 60s or or possibly the 50s so yeah that's kind of the the lowdown on what's going on in in that particular show so far it's a fun time it's just a little a little light on the 
on the plot. But we have another show that we want to talk about, Executioner and Her Way of Life. I watched all four episodes of this today, and I am hooked. It's on really it. good. Yeah. It's it's really good. It is great. So, so this is our. And you're reviewing this the show for Anime News Network, aren't you, James? Hell yes. Yeah, yeah. So this is our lead, uh, Menno, and she just looks like a sweet girl. You would not know that. Also, kind of like your, she kills people for a living. Specifically, she does. She's very yes. good at it. Yeah. Specifically, she kills um, Isekai protagonists, which is just the first episode. If you haven't watched it already, just like stop listening because I think this is probably better going in, not knowing what happens. But so that's your that's your spoiler warning for the first episode. Four episodes are out so far, so you're like way behind. I'm not. I'm not feeling bad for you if you're not up to date. You've had opportunities. So anyway, stop now. Well, never, everyone's already had their uh, people have had lots of takes about yeah. that the, this particular twist. So I feel like most people are probably aware, are at least of, aware it. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is streaming on High Dive. Um it's one of the few shows that isn't wasn't picked up by Funimation Crunchyroll mega streaming giant. And the idea is that in this world, kids from Japan keep getting isekai there and when they do they get you know their cheat skill powers like you typically read in a light novel and there is a church faction the predominant church of the area that is tasked with basically wiping them out before they can cause unnecessary destruction to the world which has happened before they're known as human errors capitalized noun there when humans show up and decimate cities on accident or cause untold <laughs> untold damage and Menno here is employed by the church as an executioner and so her primary job is finding these targets and taking them out and the first episode opens with her getting really chummy with some high school boy who was summoned by the king um, the king summoned two Japanese kids uh, they got their powers the boy was kicked out because for whatever reason they either didn't understand his power or it wasn't the one they wanted he was a decoy, was... was my understanding. Is they, oh, they, yeah. They're on to the, the church's whole shtick. They know the church is going to come after them. And so they basically summon two, and they just toss one out there just to As basically... Bait. Yeah, and then that way they'd have time to do whatever they needed to do with the other character, Akari. But Right. So yeah, they knew he was so going to die. Yeah, yeah. So his his void was... Was it called Null? Yeah. And U-L-L. So he initially thought that meant he nullifies, like he didn't have one at all. But as it turns out, you know, he can just kind of zap things into nothingness, just like make matter disappear. And so she's really chummy with him at the beginning. Oh, I'm going to take you to this church and we'll get you money and a job and all these other sorts of things. It's our job. And then, you know, she gets him to connect with his skills so he can really see what it is. And then she just stabs him in the side of the head. Just yep. murders him, just right there, and uh, right it was good, dome. right? Yep, right in the dome. And he he tells Meadow that there's a there's a second one, and that's when our Yuri story starts because this show is gay, so, it's okay. super duper gay and cute. Actually, I don't think she's gonna ever kill Akari. I mean, that'll probably be like. Well, she kind of did. I mean, she, well, that's true. She, she did try. She assassins created her just like straight up within like five yeah. minutes of meeting her, but then it didn't work. So, yeah. 
This is Akari. She's super cute, unabashedly gay. Just like asking our girl out on dates and getting naked and giving her naked hugs and all sorts of stuff. Like they're not like will they, won't they at all. Like I feel like it's it is completely textual. When when they when yeah. when they and her ability initially it's supposed to be a healing ability so she just thinks that she can heal herself so when uh, Menno tries to shank her in the back of the neck you know she just heals but then it's shown that it's not a healing ability it's like time reversal so at first we think oh she can just reverse time for herself and that's how she heals herself but we see like later in the series that she can do it on a much much larger scale and even at one point has saved uh Menno from death by by rewinding time yeah. so they've started to build a partnership kind of there but where we left off at episode four is that they've made it to this new town where they're supposed to have a facility that will still be able to kill her even though Menno can't do it on, on her own but it's is she gonna follow through she's not gonna follow through it's not gonna she's not gonna die that's I, I don't know. Right I think now. it would be interesting. I I could see it going one of two ways. One, the predictable way that I think would make total sense where she realizes, oh man, maybe killing all of these random innocent-ish Japanese kids isn't the best way to go about things. But I think it would be even more interesting if she if she did go through with it. But it oh, just yeah. doesn't work and Akari just lives still. And so And then she has uh, to come clean about it. Yeah, or something, because right. I think that would be the most interesting thing is for Akari to like learn. Oh, you killed me like twice. Yeah, um, can we still? Uh, yeah, it? I know. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna put a, put a big damper on our relationship if you keep trying to kill me and I can't trust you. Yeah, I think that probably would be better if she has to come clean with Akari because right now Akari is kind of existing in this space where she can she's naive. To everything that's going on and she's just sort of enjoying that this is like a tourist trip for her i mean she did have to kind of deal with some terrorists on a train on the way there which i also found commendable because they subverted the the oh my god potential sexual assault threat that comes out in a lot of these stories where one of the terrorists confronts meno it's like you got to put your book down also take off your clothes and he kind of is playing it up like well we need to know you don't have weapons but also i want to see you naked right yeah and it's like oh god are they doing this because anyone else watch the first episode of skeleton night like i don't like always this is always coming up as like the go-to if you've got a female character and you need to put her in danger it's like let's threaten her with potential sexual assault and it gets old but the kari actually comes forward to protect her and i thought that was actually kind of admirable and then she's like no i will protect you know, I volunteer as tribute. I volunteer as tribute, and she like starts taking her bow off and everything. And then Menno's like, "What are you doing, you idiot?" And like beats the guy up and takes yeah. care of the situation, and and it was fine. But I like the fact that Akari has a lot of the personality traits we kind of see from Isekai protagonists. You know, as far as you know, brave to a fault, jumping in whether they are equipped to do so or not. And it's kind of turned back around with men just being like, no, stop it. Like, no, it's fine. Like, don't. (laughs) Yeah. Although, but she's still, you know, as we saw with the whole train thing, every winding time, she still has like 
a role to fill that only she can fill. And that's you know, true. And it, it seems so far that she really doesn't have much control over those powers. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, there's like a throwaway line where, not a throwaway line, but in this episode, uh, Meno mentions that, you know, the more that a power like this is used when it's not properly like attuned and it's not being mm -hmm. properly like controlled, the more dangerous it can get and the more out of control it can get. And so mm -hmm. almost all of her time travel uses have basically been instinctual, they've said. Yeah, so like Akari's been on the brink of death, but she her instincts kick in and she rewinds time that way. And so I'm wondering, mm -hmm. you know, what's going to happen if and when she can just fully control those powers, like consciously um, make yeah. a decision to do it, as opposed to it just being, yeah. I feel like yeah, the OP that, that... hints at it a little bit. The opening uh, animation, which is a banger, by the way, I've listened to yeah. that song like a hundred times. Yeah. Uh, the ending is also really like artistically really interesting too. There's a lot of really good opening and ending sequences this season, like way more than usual. I mean, we didn't talk about it, but the opening to Spy Family is really good. It's got mm -hmm. this kind of cute art style that reminds me a little bit of um, Madeline, but yeah. it's probably but it's also probably supposed to be inspired by how they would imagine Anya can draws. So it it has this sort of childlike quality, but it's really cool. And then the opening to this is also really neat. And creepy. Someone in the comments, uh, J Rake with a J, <laughs> said that the mummified corpses in the opening are spooky. Because yeah, we we see that also with Meno. We see her corpse in the opening, and she's like holding like a pocket watch, which seems kind of symbolic of what's going on with Akari. There's also some insinuations that her, she and Akari might know each other from mm -hmm. a past life. Like they haven't said that Meno is isekai but she also has because she was found as a child during one of the disasters and, and raised by flair who is just super cool in like that kind of anti-hero i like she's terrifying i like her a lot let's see do we have a picture of her yes um, i'm pretty sure i got the best picture of her where she's just giving you this, this one uh, or yeah she's super cool this is the lady who ends who found her when she it seemed like her town basically got Sodom and Gomorrah like turned to salt right yeah and so she was the only survivor and they call it blanching and like she's lost all of her she's got had amnesia essentially due to it so she was re-raised from the ground up so it doesn't really make sense that she was isekai like as a teenager even though she keeps having these dreams of basically being in a Akari school and being best friends with Akari but I feel like there's going to be more going on with that like Maybe she was actually reincarnated as a baby sort of situation. She got hit like, by the truck. Truck, no! Another one falls victim. But yeah, there's just a lot of interesting characters. There's, uh, I think they've done the world building really well. And mm -hmm. that I haven't felt lore dumped on at any point. And there's still things I don't know about 100%. But you get kind of a sense for it as far as like how the class system works. The warring factions between the church and the government and just, we have the, the princess knight with the literal Ennio Morricone western theme whenever she comes onto screen yeah where'd she go her um I like her too and that yeah. like she is first off she's buff yeah she is like she's a she's a knight like she says here she's a knight and also a princess um she has a flair for dramatic clothing she has an extended conversation with Momo who's another uh executioner that works about fashion she wears like this really 
loud sort of dress. I mean, you only see the top of it here, but it's got cutouts on the ribs that go really deep and then flares out again. I can't remember if it was long or short. I assume it was actually kind of short for a movability reason. So she's just like wandering around with that and a giant sword all the time. And Momo, who obviously loves Menno, also wears a floofy little little dress that she altered herself as well. But yeah, I thought the princess was a interesting character. I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of her too. Yeah. Every character, every every girl in this show, except for Akari, could easily kill any of its viewers. And I feel like that's like half the appeal. <laughs> it's a real step on me energy. Or in her case, yeah. saw my head off with your magical chain chain whip. That was, yeah, that was intense. Like she's trying to get information from a terrorist here and he's not talking. And I really believed she was going to saw his head off. 100% did not think she was bluffing. She totally just saw this dude's head off. No regrets. She's, she's come so. a real long way from, from when she was a tiny little girl and crying and saying, I can't, how could any of you be so casual about killing people? And here she's like, I'm going to saw your little head off with my little chain. <laughs> Maybe then my girlfriend will love me. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. So there's just a lot of, uh, oh, this part was really good, too. We get in the most recent episode some of the training <laughs> and backstory going on here. And so we have these kind of the most they, generic ass Japanese school children imaginable. <laughs> right. And they're but everything's painted like in a um early Renaissance era artwork that you usually see reserved for like like the Mary. birth of Jesus. Like Yeah, the, Mary with child or something like that. Yeah. So we have we have the generic got literal halos around their head. Right. And then these people down here who appear to be praising them. And then they were supposed to have brought the advent, I guess, of technology with them. Because unlike other series where the isekai world is typical fantasy, like low tech, this one's actually more, I guess, Renaissance era might make sense. As far kind as of, yeah, like steampunky, like they have, yeah. they have like trains and they have like lights and stuff, but it's yeah. not quite like Victorian as far as fashion goes. Yeah, it's a little more like medieval Renaissance as far as the yeah. fashion. Yeah, yeah, and they they have a different energy source that they use as far as like powering their trains and and stuff like that. But the image we're showing here is yeah supposed to be like oh we learned and our world completely changed as we adopted the teachings from these japanese school children who magically appeared here and they actually have a whole system now to just summon it's illegal but to just summon kids from japan and they have like maps of japan with stuff labeled and everything and i thought that was really funny but yeah. um but every yeah, time no, they I... summon a Japanese kid, they get an apocalypse. And so they're like, no. Yeah, we have to stop no this. No more, no more of no that. No more third no. impacts, please. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I just thought um, the, the world building has been good and subtle for the most part. Like, you're not reading a bunch of text. There's not an overwhelming amount of capital N nouns going on. And even when you do get them, like, you can, like, it, like they all make sense, you know? Yeah. Like, okay. Human errors. I get it. <laughs> they are. They're humans, and they made an error. Like okay. Yeah. It caused catastrophic destruction. I mean, I don't remember the name of the energy stuff that exists in their world, but if it showed Is up it again, ether I'd... or ether. Yeah. Or... Yeah. yeah. And I do think um, another cool thing that they haven't 
explained in depth, but is just neat, is that Menno's book, whenever she's casting magic from it, it pulls up their equivalent of what would be like a Bible quote or something. And then mm-hmm. says something. it's usually goes by too quickly to read, but I just think it's neat how she's like summoning stuff from that, whether it's bubbles or. And the sound bubbles. design is so cool too. Like whenever they cast a spell, like the creepy spooky voices that are like kind of going off as the magical graphics come up on the screen. I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of little extra touches. Like you said, with like the Bible verses where they didn't have to do that. They could have just gone a lot more generic, but instead I think they've, there's been a lot of attention paid to making this feel like its own thing, even though it's, you know, still doing kind of the, the isekai shuffle in yeah. a lot of ways, but it's good. Yeah. It's really good. You mentioned earlier, and I did want to touch on it, that the music is really interesting because it's got like a Spanish flair to it. Mm-hmm. All the all the background music, its use of horns and, and whatnot reminds me of a Western mm-hmm. a lot of the time. It's just, it's it's distinctive. And I've, I've enjoyed that too, just as it, a way of giving the show like a sense of identity that separates it from a lot of other ones where it might have felt more normal to use like strings and typical fantasy style music or something but they've gone in a completely different direction for it it's pretty good so yeah if you guys haven't checked out uh the executioner and a way of life that's on high dive uh we're going to be keeping up with this one since this one has more of a uh, plot centric feel while also checking in with spy family for spy shenanigans but both of them are pretty good so yeah and if there's anything else that, that kind of comes up over time, we might touch on that, like a random Netflix show or or something, because there's some movies that are going to be dropping. Like, I'd love to talk with you about Bubble next week, James, if you get a chance to watch yeah. that. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah. Do we ever, right. is Cuckoo, is, uh, is Cuckoo still, is that Disney Plus? <laughs> are you talking about a couple of Cuckoos? Yes. <laughs> yes. No, that that is on, uh, the first episode of that went up, I think, late over the weekend. Or late oh, last okay. week, and it's on Crunchyroll. Okay. Yeah, I haven't watched that one yet. We could check it out. The lips concern me as far as the character design for the lips. They're very like oh. shiny and like first uh, kind of looking. Yeah, I was really yeah, going to say they were like a. I can't remember that what like the, that old animation technique where they would film live action lips and just paste it on top of a still, like Angela Anaconda or something. Kind of. Uh, they they made fun of it on the DVD for The Incredibles. Um, I can't. There's like a, a a copyrighted like name for it. That I think it only ever got used for like one show. But it's literally oh, really? just like imagine like Johnny Quest style art, but okay. instead of a mouth, they just have a real human mouth that's moving in real time. It that's looks exciting. horrifying. I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't like that. No. Yeah. All right, everybody. I think that that does it for us this week. We will be back next week with Bubble Talk and more Spy Family and more Executioner Way of Life. Once again, please subscribe to us here on YouTube or watch us on Twitter Spaces or Facebook. Give us some shares and some likes. If you're on Mastodon, I'm also over there now because Musk. So anyway, we'll see you next week at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Bye. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.